uh, a story, an old story you've probably heard before, uh, the story of the, 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 the hiker, the atheist hiker in Canada. Uh, and so he's out hiking in the woods. You see in the picture, he's out hiking in the woods, enjoying the beauties of nature, uh, until uh, suddenly he hears a rustle and a growl in the bushes. Uh, he looks around and sees that there is a seven-foot grizzly just behind him. Uh, so he starts to run immediately, instinctively. He runs from the grizzly bear, and as he's running, he looks over his shoulder and sees that the grizzly bear is gaining on him. And at that point, when he's not watching where he's going, he trips over a log and falls. And instinctively, despite the fact he's an atheist, instinctively he cries out, God help me, God help me. Uh, at that moment, time seems to stop. There is silence in the forest and the bear freezes. There is a light that shines down on top of the hiker and he hears a voice and the voice says, you denied me all your life. You taught other people that I didn't exist and you want me to help you now? Can I count you as a believer? Uh, and at that point, uh, the hiker says, well, I suppose it would be a little bit, I'd be a little bit hypocritical to become a follower now. Um, perhaps you could make the bear a Christian. Um, okay. The light disappears. The noises of the forest return. And the big bear puts its paws together, bows its head, and says, for what we are about to receive... <laughs> Now, why did I tell you that ridiculous story? It's a ridiculous story, of course. Why did I tell you that ridiculous story? Well, because it illustrates two points that are important for us, that are important for us. First point it illustrates, first idea it illustrates, is the idea that actually it should be something that Christians instinctively do. That little story assumes that one of the defining characteristics of a Christian is that they pray. Yeah? And in fact, if you look down just at sentence number seven in our passage, you see that that is an assumption that both that story and Jesus share. And when you pray, not if you pray, when you pray, uh, Jesus assumes that it will be uh, something that all Christians would do. And prayer for a lot of people means a lot of different things. Uh, for some who have been on the road as a Christian for a long time, when you think about prayer, you might think on thanksgiving, you might think on praise, you might think on confession. Um, but if you, were to ask, if you were to ask a regular non-churchgoer, uh, or perhaps any child, what is prayer? What do we mean by prayer? More often than not, the answer you'll get back is asking God for stuff asking God for stuff. Prayer, at its most basic, most instinctive, prayer means asking God for help. Um, and that little story also illustrates a second idea. Not only is it, can we, is it a defining mark of a Christian that they will be praying, uh, but also it is an instinctive natural reaction of every human being at some point in their life to pray. Uh, as the, the old cliche goes, there are, no, there are no atheists in foxholes. There are no atheists on falling planes. 
instinctively we cry out for help, um, even if we don't see or claim to know the person to whom we are crying out. Prayer is an instinctive reaction for all people, asking God for help. And in fact, the English word pray, the English word pray comes from a Middle English word which simply means um, asking God earnestly, asking God earnestly. Um, and so uh, we come this morning then to, we've been using this little acronym uh, that Pete Gregg in his little book, How to Pray, has used. I find really helpful to organize our thoughts for these four weeks. Uh, we've come to the third, the third step, the third uh, letter in the little acronym, PRAY. Uh, two weeks ago we considered as we come to pray, we need a P, pause, pause, uh, just Still our hearts. Remember who it is we're coming to. Become aware of the presence of God. And remind ourselves of our need as we come to God. We need to pause. Uh, Secondly, we need to rejoice. Jesus says the next step is we need to rejoice. We need to praise God for who he is and rejoice in what he's done for us. And as we do that, that re-centers us, reorientates us. To, under, to be aware and put all, our, put all our problems, all our opportunities in the right perspective. Uh, we need to rejoice. Uh, and this week we come to our third, our third little letter. We come to uh, ask, P-R-A-Y. We'll come to Y next week. P-R-A-Y, ask God. We need to ask God. Jesus gives us permission to do that uh, in the center of the prayer. Uh, as we come to the center of the prayer, you have this shopping list of requests. We give us asking for provision. Um, You've got forgive us, ask for pardon. Uh, And you have deliver us, ask for protection. Uh, We are to come, therefore, and ask God. We're to come and ask God. Uh, What I want to do for the next few minutes is simply to to ask two questions and to try to attempt to answer them. Okay, the two questions are really simple. Number one, Why must we ask God for help? Why must we ask God for help? And then secondly, what way must we ask God for help? And and this wonderful prayer, this model of prayer that the Lord Jesus uh, gives us us real insight uh, into the answer for those uh, two questions. Uh, If you just glance down, first then, why must we ask God for help? If you glance down just to Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, Jesus is saying, don't pray like the pagans who just babble on. And the word there is the the idea of repeat mindlessly. Don't just repeat mindlessly the same old phrases um, and think that God will be impressed by your many words. Why won't God be impressed by your many words? Sentence number eight, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, that raises an important question, doesn't it? If God knows all our problems and he knows all our needs, before we ask, why do we need to ask at all? Why do we need to ask at all? Surely, if he is powerful and good, we can just let him get on with the business of giving, can't we? We can just sort of short-circuit the whole process of praying. Why pray if he knows what we need and he's good and he'll know to give us good things? Just don't bother praying. Well, that brings us to our first question and first uh, issue. Why must we ask God 
for help. And as I was thinking about this, I, I did stumble across a story I knew very well. You, many of you know well, but it maybe stood out to me in, in, slightly more, uh, in, in a slightly new way. And it's the story of blind Bartimaeus, uh, recorded for us in Matthew te- or Mark 10. Um, you may, some of you will know the story. Jesus is traveling through Jericho. Jesus is traveling through Jericho. A huge crowd are following him. Uh, many to hear his teaching. Many more, I suspect, hoping to, to have be healed themselves or have loved ones healed. Uh, and as he's traveling through the town, uh, this blind beggar called Bartimaeus starts shouting out. He can't get close to Jesus, but he starts shouting out, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he shouts it out and shouts it out. And the crowd says, shut up. You're just bothering everybody. Be quiet. But he refuses to be silenced. And, the, uh, and Jesus sees the commotion and invites Bartimaeus, uh, blind Bartimaeus, to come, to come forward. He's led to see Jesus. And Jesus asks, when you stop and think about it, a very surprising question. And the question is simply, what do you want me to do for you? Now, you can imagine some people in the crowd thinking, though, the clues in the name, blind Bartimaeus. Uh, And sure enough, his reply is, Lord, I want to see, I want to see. And he's healed. Now, the question is, why did Jesus do it like that? Why did he do it like that? And I think that story illustrates just a, a very simple but very important idea God wants us to articulate our needs to him. He wants us to articulate them, to speak them, share them uh, with God. And I think we need to do that. We need to speak to God, ask, go through the process of asking for three reasons. The first one's on your screen there, uh, because asking is relational. Asking is relational. Um, one of the very common misconceptions about prayer, and actually a, a caricature that we often slip into is, as Christians, is beginning to think about prayer and think, more importantly, about God as if he's a massive vending machine in the sky. Uh, and we need to put the, the right currency in, uh, in the form of the right prayers at the right time using the right words. And if we can put the right currency in and pull the lever, then out will come goodies for us. But of course, that's never the picture that you have in the Bible of God. He is not, uh, prayer is not mechanical. He is not a a machine. He is a person who wants to relate to us uh, as people. Uh, And even that question, why bother praying if God knows what I need? That very question assumes that the big point of prayer is to get the stuff but that's not the point of prayer, fundamentally. And that's why Jesus puts it in the, in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. You have to get through and past our Father in heaven before you get to asking for stuff. You have to remember who it is, who it is you're talking to. His relationship to you before you ever get to asking Uh, uniquely in the religions of the world and the philosophies of the world. Um, God, uh, Jesus describes the relationship of his followers with God as a father-child relationship. Uh, And it's a relationship that we are brought into when we put our trust in Jesus, 
when we put our confidence in him, not in ourselves, uh, we are brought into that relationship. And it's a relationship in which we can grow. We can grow. We can grow in intimacy, grow in love. And just like any other relationship then, uh, relationships grow by talking, asking, responding. And that's how we grow in love and trust. And so asking is important. It's a way in which the relationship between ourselves and God deepens and grows. Second idea, second reason it's important to do the asking is that asking expresses reliance. Asking expresses reliance. Um, When you ask for something, you are in effect admitting you need help. That's just one's the flip side of the other, isn't it? You're admitting you need help, and so you're asking. And I suspect that's why many of us men find it difficult to ask for directions, isn't it? Because we're admitting, we're admitting, I I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what to do next. Uh, We find that difficult. There's a pride in us, I think, for many of us. We find that difficult. Uh, So when you ask, you're admitting your own personal need. But also when you ask, you're expressing your trust and confidence in someone else that they can meet your need. Uh, and so, um, as Pete Gregg uh, puts it uh, like this, in all its forms, asking is an expression of faith, a way of opening our hearts to believe and our hands to receive from another person. I think that's beautiful. In all its forms, asking is an expression of faith, our way of opening our hearts to believe and our hands to receive from another person. Prayer, or faith, faith, um, is in effect a muscle, a muscle. And just like any other muscle, it needs to be exercised if it's going to get and remain strong. Prayer then is faith in action, expressing our need and expressing our confidence in the one to whom we ask. And it's, a, it's good for us. It's good for us then for, for, to be asking. Um, Asking is relational. Asking expresses reliance. And then thirdly, asking is a responsibility. Asking is a responsibility. Uh, I came across this quote by a philosopher, French philosopher called Blaise Pascal. I think that's the coolest name, uh, Blaise Pascal. But there you go. Uh, a French philosopher, and he wrote this. Um, God instituted prayer in order to lend to his creatures the dignity of causality. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? Um, The way God has set up the universe, the way God has set up the universe, uh, let me give you an example. When God sends the rain, he sends first the clouds that cause the rain. In God's economy, in the way that he has set up this world, God achieves his plans by first prompting the prayers that will bring those plans about. Now, I'm sure that sparks a whole bunch of questions in your head. There is real mystery here. We don't have time to to, to delve into that. But in God's economy, God has set up prayer uh, to be the way in which we participate and make a meaningful participation in God's unfolding plans in the world. Prayer works. Prayer not just changes me, it changes situations. 
it, it changes history. Prayer has an impact in the world. Um, uh, Augustine said this, Without God, we cannot. Without God, he will not. God uses our prayers as the mechanism by which he brings about his plans in the world. Um, And I think Augustine is in perfect harmony with the Lord Jesus because in chapter 7 of Matthew, just the next chapter to the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus can say this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives. uh, And the one who seeks finds. uh, And the one who knocks it will be opened. Or, or James uh, in uh, James chapter 2 can say, you don't have because you don't ask. If you asked, you would have. Prayer works. It changes stuff. And if you aren't convinced by that and don't see your privilege and responsibility there, you will never pray. You'll never pray unless you're convinced by that. Why should you ask then? Why is it important we ask? Because asking is relational. Asking expresses and strengthens our trust and faith in God and reliance on him. And asking is a wonderful privilege and responsibility that God has lent to us in the way that he has set up the world. Why must we ask? Second, what way must we ask God for help? What way must we ask God for help? Um, Can I ask you, what is your favorite food? Let me push it a little further while you're thinking. What food do you think you could not live without? Okay, what food do you think you couldn't live without? I think I saw someone actually mouth chocolate. Okay, and if that, if, you, that was, if I picked that up correctly, then I would have a deep sympathy with you, right? Chocolate. For some of you, it will be your Friday night takeaway, right? Whatever that is. Uh, for some of you, maybe it's more modest. Maybe it's your morning porridge. I couldn't function without my morning porridge. Whatever it is for you, uh, the reality is there's probably as many answers to that question as there are people in this room, right? We all have slightly different favorites. But let me, let me think, let's just think about this for a moment. If you were to ask that very same question, what, what food couldn't you live without? But you were to ask it to someone living in the country uh, in 19th century Ireland, what would their answer be? Potatoes. Why? There's nothing else. That's it. No potatoes. I die. Yeah. You ask the same question even today in parts of poor central China. Or, or in central India? What, 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 what food can you live without? No, there's, no, there's no thinking time required. Rice. That's the stuff without which I die. Okay. In the first century, in Palestine, bread was the staple. Bread was not one preference among hundreds of carbohydrate preferences that I have. Bread was it. No bread, you die. Okay? And so when Jesus is saying, give us today our daily bread, he is saying that we need to express our need for God to provide for our human daily necessities. Human daily necessities. 
bread is shorthand for, for human necessity. Food, water, shelter, warmth. All of those things. And I guess Jesus is making the point here uh, that we need to recognize that not only... Uh, but Jesus is, is, is that he's stressing the point that actually God is not some sort of absentee landlord who's not really... Like he's wound up this world and then he's let, let it go and he's away off doing something else. No, no, God's intimately involved in his world. Providing, sustaining, providing for all his creatures. And without him, we would perish. Without him, we would perish. Uh, we, what way must we ask God? Well, first, in one sense, we must ask God, even before we get to with confidence, we need to pray with desperation. <laughs> we need God for everything. We need God for everything. Uh, and so I came across, I was reminded of a, a scene from The Simpsons, uh, the cartoon show, um, where Bart was asked to give thanks for the food and say grace. Uh, and Bart said, Dear God, we paid for this food ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Right? In one sense, in the most profound sense, I hope you all are beginning to see that Bart is talking nonsense. Now, it's hard for us to see the connection between our food and God sometimes in a supermarket shopping uh, Western culture. Everything you need and get from, from the supermarket. But actually, where did they get it from? The farmers. Uh, and where did they get it from? Well, actually, God needed to send the rain. He needed to make the animals grow and mature. Uh, he needed to, to make the crops grow. And they had no control over that. We can make wine, but we can't make grapes. We can make olive oil, but we can't make olives. We can make bread, but we can't make wheat. It's a gift. God is the one who is the life giver, the one who sustains and provides for all our necessities. Uh, he gives us our daily bread. Um, but what you see is, and what Jesus is stressing by putting this request right in the middle of the prayer. Give us our daily bread is in the middle of the prayer. You have to get through the first part of the prayer first. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done before you get to the asking. And the reason that Jesus puts it in the middle, I am persuaded, is because he wants us to ask with great confidence. We can ask with great confidence. Uh, Jesus goes on in, again in chapter 7 to stress uh, the fact that we can be absolutely confident uh, of God's marvelous provision for us. Matthew chapter 7, we read this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Uh, I don't suspect that any of you uh, who are parents here have ever come to the point where you've said, money's a bit tight this year. Perhaps what we'll do is we'll just cancel Christmas. Cancel all birthdays. No presents for anybody. I don't think, I don't think anyone, maybe a fleeting thought, 
but not a serious proposal, okay? Not a serious proposal. Um, because we all recognize that actually there's something joy-giving to give to your children. We love to see their joy. We are rewarded by their joy. In fact, I think you can go even further. I think um, it's a lesson I've learned in the last few years as becoming a parent is that you can ne- your parents' hearts are so bound to their children's joy that you can never be truly happy if you know they are unhappy. You can never be truly happy as a parent if you know your child is unhappy. It's impossible. It's impossible. We are bound together. And Jesus says, even though we are deeply fallen and flawed, we're evil. Even you know how to give good gifts. And what's Jesus driving at? Jesus is driving at the question, do you think you are more generous than God? Do you really, do you really think that? Of course not. Of course the answer is no, you're not. We do tend to think of God that way though, if we're honest. We tend to think that God is a big Scrooge in the sky and sometimes, occasionally, if we ask long enough and hard enough, maybe once a decade he'll give us something really nice. But, you know, those nice things, we've got to pester him for them. We've got to prize away his fingers to get the goody for us. But that's just, nothing could be further from the truth. That's completely wrong. God is a generous father, a generous father who wants to lavish good gifts upon his children. Uh, in, uh, we, see, we see that even from the, the, the unfolding story of the Bible again and again and again. Back in the book of Exodus, near the start of the Bible story, after he famously rescued his people from Egypt under the leadership of Moses as they're traveling through the desert, we read after they cry out for food and they're desperate, uh, we read the Lord saying, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And God provided manna. Uh, which literally means, what is it? Uh, they've never seen anything like manna before. We've never seen anything like manna again. Uh, it was these, it seemed to be these sweet flakes. <laughs> I imagine them as big, massive, frosty flakes, right? That's, that's what I have in my head. I may be totally wrong, but big, massive, frosty flakes, sweet to the taste, provided every single day, every single day for 40 years. You went out and you collected enough for the day. Um, but not only that, when you, begin to, when you continue to read uh, in the book of Exodus, God, they asked for bread and God provided that. But he's a lavish giver. And so he also provided meat, even though he wasn't asked. Uh, he, he's generous, generous. How do you get meat to a nomadic people who are traveling through the desert? You need to fly it in. And that's what he did. He flew it in. Quails flew in. See, God is an extravagant, generous giver. That's just one tiny little example, but shows you something typical of God. He is generous. But not only is he a generous father, according to the Lord's Prayer, he's our father, but he's in heaven. He's the ruler of all, omnipotent in power. There is no good intention that he has towards us that, um, he cannot, that can be thwarted. Or Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 3, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. There is nothing that you can ask of God that's too difficult for him to deliver. And that means you can be absolutely confident, confident in his love, 
his fatherly love, confident in his awesome power, uh, that there's nothing that you can ask that he's not wanting to give to you if it's good for you, uh, nothing that he is unable to give to you because he is the mighty God. We should pray with confidence, ask with confidence. But then secondly, we can and should ask with humility. Ask with humility. Because that raises then the question, well, look, you're saying, Lee, that's all well and good, but you're saying, Lee, that God is, has made all these wonderful promises, uh, that God is awesome in power, uh, and there's nothing I can ask that he can't deliver. But look, the reality is he hasn't answered my prayer. I've asked for something for a long time, passionately, and he hasn't given it. Does that not call into question your idea there that I should pray confidently? Again, by placing the, this, this petition, give us today our daily bread in the middle of the prayer, helps us and reminds us that we're not dealing with a genie in a lamp, but we're dealing with a father, a wise father, who's relating to his children. Uh, let me give you, uh, again, an example that I think it's a little ridiculous, but it stresses the point. Imagine a little five-year-old finds an Aladdin's lamp, and you see the little five-year-old lift the Aladdin's lamp and rub the lamp, and you see the genie come out. What do you do next? Can I tell you what I would do next? I would get as far away from that little five-year-old as possible far away as possible because that five-year-old and again forgive me my examples are all of little boys because I have boys but they're bound to ask for something that's harmful for them and others just it's just bound. can I have a tiger please uh, can I have a loaded machine gun please you know it's just bound to ask ridiculous things that are harmful for them and for others uh, that that scenario of a genie in a lamp is prayer without a safety catch prayer without a safety catch. But let's push it on a little bit. Imagine you saw a 10-year-old take the lamp, rub the lamp, genie comes out, what do you do next? Trust a 10-year-old to be sensible? No. No, no, I certainly wouldn't. I would be out the door. Uh, They're bound to ask for something that's going to be unwise or damaging for themselves and others around them. Now, a 25-year-old what do you think? 25, all you 25-year-olds, what do you think? Um, do you think you could be trusted to ask for things that are wise and good for you and for other people? Uh, could you be trusted with an Aladdin's lamp? You see, you can only answer that question really when you're 35 and you look back and you go, I was an idiot. I was an idiot when I was 25. Uh, but now I know. But now I know. Uh, and I know what's good for me. And now I'd be, I could be trusted with an Aladdin's lamp. And then I haven't quite made it yet, just for those of you who are thinking. So when you're 45, what do you say? I was an idiot when I was 35. Now, now I know what's good for me. Now I know what's good for me. The reality is, according to the Bible, you're never wise enough. You're always an idiot. I'm always an idiot. Uh, we will always make foolish choices. And that's why we could never be trusted with prayer without a safety catch. Never. Never. We would always, if, if I, I look back to when I was 20 uh, and the things I might have asked for, I'd certainly be married to the wrong girl at least three times 
uh, and I wouldn't be doing this job. I am so glad that God didn't answer those prayers and those requests when I was 20. Um, Wonderfully, God is kind, and he's a father. And what fathers do is fathers, when children make requests, always reserve the right to say no. They reserve the right to say no because they're wise. Fathers want to be wise. They know what their children need and what is good for them and what is bad for them. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, but hold on a minute. You've said you can pray confidently and God will always answer your prayers and ask and it will be received and knock and you, anything you ask in my name, you'll get. Is there a contradiction here, Lee? Are you trying to have your cake and eat it? Trying to say, God, you can pray confidently, but you should also pray humbly. There's only a contradiction if you are operating on a genie and a lamp view of, of, of prayer. There's only a contradiction if you're uh, operating on that principle. If you see prayer in the context of the Lord's Prayer, is that you're addressing your asking to your wise and loving Father. There is no contradiction. And I've been wrestling with this this week. Why is there no contradiction there? And I, I, Tim Keller has been really helpful to me. He says when we come to a, a wise parent, a wise parent will always... Uh, I haven't quite got that quote yet, George, but uh, a wise parent will always distinguish between the need and the interpretation of the need. Right? Now, let me give you an example. Uh, And I wish this was made up. But imagine your child came to you and said, Dad, I'm bored. Can we throw knives at each other? Okay. Now, as a wise parent, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, as a wise parent, at one level, you're going to refuse that particular request. Uh, maybe not now. Uh, that, would be, that would not be a good idea. Someone's going to get hurt. But what does a wise parent do? What does a wise parent do? The wise parent distinguishes between the underlying need and desire and the interpretation of that. A wise parent will hear that request and say, there is an underlying desire there to play with and spend time with dad. There is an underlying need there. They are bored. And as a wise parent, I want to satisfy those desires and that need, but in a different way. If you want to throw something, let's go into the garden and throw the rugby ball. Or how about we we build some Lego together? Or how about we play pirates? Whatever it is. I am answering as a father. I am saying no to the the particular interpretation of how that need should be satisfied. But my desire is to fundamentally answer the prayer, answer the request. You see the idea? And when you start looking at Scripture, God is doing that uh, all the time. I came across this quote um, by um, Richard Sibbs. Richard Sibbs is a... Uh, 17th century or maybe in 16th century Puritan and he said this God will not be tied to the manner sometimes when we ask God doth give just the same we ask for if not so yet then the Lord may answer us in the value though not the kind giving us as good as we have desired this is all one. If one pays us in, the sum, in a sum in silver, do we ask him why it is not in gold? You see the idea? 
God is wonderfully kind, extravagantly generous. He wants to meet our needs and our desires, but not always in the way we ask him for. I think you see that in um, the Apostle Paul. When uh, Paul is praying and tells us what he prays in 2 Corinthians, where he asks for the thorn in the, his thorn in the flesh to be removed. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. Probably was some sort of physical ailment of some sort. Uh, and Paul prays three times for it to be removed. Why does he pray that? Why does he pray that? Well, in the context, uh, Paul prays that prayer so that he will be effective for God. I want to be, underneath it all, behind it all, I want to be effective for you. I've got this physical ailment. I think that's going to take away from my effectiveness, so take it away. And what is God's reply? God's reply is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Actually, God comes and replies, I too want you to be effective, but you're going to be more effective by keeping it, by keeping this ailment, whatever it is. God fundamentally answers his request, but in a different way. Uh, God is kind and generous. Tim Keller puts it like this, which I think is really helpful. God always gives us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Like, that's brilliant. God, would, uh, God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. And so fundamentally then, we are to come to God, invited to come to God, like a toddler comes to their parent, to their father. Uh, coming, sharing everything, and asking anything uh, with great confidence because they're confident that they're loved and that their father has good intentions for them, but also confident because he is all-powerful. Um, and we ask with humility, humility, conscious that God knows uh, what we don't yet know, and he is wise and he is good. And therefore, just to sum up there, I came across this verse of a hymn by John Newton. I think this is beautiful again. Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Let's pray together.